you believe God performs miracles? Today on Daily in the Word, Dr. Paul Chappell reveals how Jesus can make your impossible possible. I don't care what kind of little books or studies you have, if they're drawing you away from the church that's preaching the Bible, be careful. God wants you to be a part of a spiritual house that is a pillar standing up for the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's plan for you and for me is the local called out assembly. It is the church that he has determined to hold up the truth. Over 7 billion people occupy our world, and it's not by accident. God chose our generation to make a difference, but He doesn't want us to do it alone. Find out how God wants to use you in our series, Jesus Can. Welcome to Daily in the Word. This program features the teaching and preaching of Dr. Paul Chappell, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. In today's series, you will be inspired and challenged to grow in the areas of faith, serving, generosity, and evangelism. And now, here's Dr. Paul Chappell with part one of a message called, Jesus Can Build. We are aware now more than ever that Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith, that Jesus Christ is the builder of his church, and that Jesus Christ adds to the church such as should be added. And Jesus, in speaking to Peter in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, said, And I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Some of you have studied that verse, and you know that the name Peter means the little pebble. And you know that when Jesus said, Upon this rock, He spoke of a magnified, magnificent rock. He spoke of himself. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And we'll learn in just a moment, Jesus truly is the chief cornerstone of the church. And he said, I will build my church. And I want you to notice it says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now we're seeing more and more threats toward religious liberty, even in America. And I know you're busy with your jobs and your kids and soccer and all these other things, but I would draw to your attention that we live in a culture that is not always excited about the cause of Christ. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I want you to know that sometimes we look around and we see a deterioration in the neighborhood or we hear about this problem or that. And sometimes Christians cower and they get into the closet as though we're on the losing end of this. And I want to remind you today that with Jesus, we are on the winning side, you see. Because Jesus can build his church. I intend to get up here and preach the whole counsel of God just as I always have. You know why? You cannot bind the word of God. You cannot bind it. The communist dictatorship went to uh, China and they killed not a few, but hundreds of thousands of Christians were placed in prison and were killed. And we're told that right now today, meeting in houses and meeting in different places around China, there are somewhere between 200 and 400 million Christians who pray to Jesus, believe in Jesus, worship the Lord Jesus. Listen, you cannot stop what Jesus has started already. He can build his church. He will, and he is. Now, it's a, it's a challenging day, and sometimes people say, well, you know, we're in a tough day, and 
I've just got to find an easier spot, or I, I don't think I can be as vocal about my faith. But you see, Jesus has called us to put our hand to the plow and never look back and be faithful to the Lord Jesus in this day. On June the 5th, 1944, General Dwight Eisenhower was in the country of England. He was photographed with the paratroopers who were about to make their way to the Battle of Normandy. That great attack against the forces of Hitler. The 101st Air Force Division camp of Grinham Common in England. Eisenhower stood there before these soldiers and airmen, and he said to them these words, full victory, nothing else. Full victory, nothing else. And they liberated Europe, rid them of the scourge of Hitler and Nazism, and brought back great victory. And I say to you that Jesus Christ has promised us full victory and nothing else. And Jesus can build his church, and he will build his church. The word church is mentioned in the New Testament 117 times. It is most commonly mentioned as the word ecclesia, which means a called out assembly. That means when you were born again, God called you out. He called you out of sin. He called you out of this world. He called you unto himself. Of the 117 times, 113 of those times, it is referring to a local assembly. Sometimes people talk about the church in a generic kingdom sense, and there's a place for that discussion. But the Bible primarily speaks about bodies like this, local assemblies where we gather, love, nurture, pray, and grow together. The English word church originated from a Greek word, kuriao, and the word kuriao is simply stated, belonging to the Lord. So we are a called out assembly of believers and we belong to the Lord. And what a joy and privilege it is. We used to sing that song, now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. And the plan of God is the church and his plan for reaching the world and sending missionaries is an obedient church like this one has been. And this is not the time to stop. This is the time to keep going forward for God and with God. Oh, listen today. Every member of the body is important. The Bible refers to the church as the body of Christ. And if you take the attitude, well, I can miss and it doesn't matter and I don't have to pray or I don't have to give and I'm just a little part of the body, it won't matter. I want to tell you something, friend. You go home and you find a hammer and you take off your shoe and you bang your little tiny baby toe with that hammer and tell me if that little part of your body doesn't matter. Come on now. Every part of the body matters. God put you here in this church to be a part of this church, to be a part of the local body. And I'm telling you that everyone here this morning is vital in the sight of God. He loves you, he redeems you, and he puts us together in the church. One author said on this subject, on the most elementary level, you do not have to go to church to be a Christian. I've had people tell me that. And people get into this hyper doctrine where they say, well, I don't have to do anything and God still loves me. Of course you don't have to do anything. The thief on the cross never did a thing and he was saved. You don't have to do anything. 
You can be a do-nothing Christian and still go to heaven because salvation is by grace. I understand that. I, someday I'm going to write a book, and it's going to be called Excuses I Have Heard. And this is one of the big ones. I don't have to go to church, and I can still be a Christian. Well, congratulations on your theological prowess, but may I help you understand, my friend, that on the most elementary level, you do not have to go to church to be a Christian. You do not have to go home to be married either. But in both cases, if you do not, you will have a very poor relationship. The home is to be a place of love and nurture and encouragement. And the church is God's place of love and nurture, encouragement and challenge. And this is a wonderful relationship. This is the Lord's church. And we thank Him for it. Now I want to share three truths about the church this morning. I want you to notice, first of all, the plan for His church. Jesus has a plan for his church. Verse 15, he says to Timothy, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. Notice the responsibility of the believer. What is the responsibility of Timothy, the believer, the leader of our church family? How thou oughtest to behave, to conduct ourselves. You can read through the scriptures. Time does not permit. But I want you to notice in this chapter in verse 1, he speaks to the leaders of the church. If a man desire the office of a bishop or a pastor, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy or filthy. You can read through it. My friend, God says the church is to be distinct from some other organization. You can be the CEO of a company, and you can leave your wife, you can have all kinds of alcohol and wicked problems in your life, and still be the CEO, but God says, I want the leaders in the church to have a life that is distinct. I want the leaders, notice he says in verse 7, likewise the deacons should be grave, not double-tongued, not given much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. So he's talking about how to behave. He says, I want the church to be distinct in society. I don't want you to bring the cultural norm to the church. I want the church to be a place that honors and reveres Jesus. And the believer knows how to behave. And a leader should know how to behave. And it always saddens our heart when we hear of any leader of the faith who suddenly is involved in immorality, who suddenly is involved in a scandal. It grieves our heart for the name of Jesus Christ because it is incumbent upon us as believers that our lives would be distinct and as unto the Lord. God speaks in the epistles concerning the church. It is to be a place of purity. The Bible says he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. God says, here, I want you to be a people that, that are a people known for your godliness and for your good works. I want you to be people that are known for your kindness, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ also hath forgiven you. How many of you have noticed that our society is not getting much kinder? How many of you have noticed people on social media just spew out their thoughts? People that would never come and talk to you in your face say all kinds of garbage on social media. Come on, help me here. It's not a very kind society. The talk radio shows, people at work arguing. God says, I want my church to be known as a place where my love is present, where people are kind one to another. 
You say, well, somebody cut me off in the parking lot. Good, that's a chance for you to become a good Christian. Well, somebody bit my child. Somebody's child bit my child in the nursery. Good, you get to practice forgiveness. God says, I want the behavior in the church to be distinct. He says, I want it to be a place of unity. There's a verse out front in the foyer of this church on the wall. The first message I ever preached to this church on a Sunday night, Philippians 1.27. It's the theme verse of this church. Only let your conversation be which becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It has been my desire that with one spirit we would strive. How does that happen? It happens when we're all dead to self and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And that with one mind, how does that happen? That we stay in the Word of God. You listen here. Sometimes people have come along and they'll say, here's a brochure on how to get involved in Pentecostalism. Here's a book. It'll help you counsel. I've had sometimes, read this book, read this book. Hey, why don't you read the Bible and listen to the preaching of the Word of God that with one spirit and with one mind we might all stand together for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our responsibility. A responsibility to behave biblically in the church. And it's a great responsibility. But we see not only the responsibility of the believer, but notice secondly, the ownership of the Lord. Now notice this verse here, verse 15. How thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Would you say those four words with me, please? The house of God. One more time, the Now, in our mind, the first thing we think about is the walls around us, the house of God. But what we're going to learn, and put your thinking caps on with me, because we're not talking about two-by-fours and steel when we read this phrase. We are the house of God. Jesus is the owner of the house. We are the house of God. The church, Acts 20, 28 was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. The church is the bride of Jesus Christ. The church is the building of Jesus Christ. Let me illustrate it for you. Look at verse 4 of chapter 3, speaking of the pastor. One that ruleth well his own, what does that say? Help me here, his own what? That's not talking about the pastor's cutting his grass and painting the walls. It's talking about the people that live in my house. Nowadays, there's only one other people, so pray for me that I can keep that all together. But it's saying a pastor should train up his children in the way they should go. Look at verse 12. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. So the word house is not speaking about a building. It is speaking about people. And we are the people of this local assembly. The house is speaking of a family. Now look in your notes at Ephesians 2.19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Let me illustrate it this way, if I may, and stay with me. This house that we're a part of 
is illustrated in the fact that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The apostles and the prophets gave to us the word of God. That became the foundation. And you and I are added to this spiritual habitation. We become a part of the church. The Lord added you to this church. Say, well, I don't like everything. Maybe the Lord wants to do something. Some messages make me feel a little convicted. Do you think the Lord might have known that? I'm just saying, the Lord added us to this church. And I've had my good days and my bad days, but I've just always known. God brought me to this church and has a purpose for my life. And so he adds us to this place. Now look at 1 Peter 2.5. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. So God refers to those of us that are added as living stones. Now, I'm not one of these guys that believes in living stones. I don't go to Sedona and sit on red rocks and say, hmm. I don't pray to rocks. I mean, I, I had a pet rock once, I'll admit it. It was given to me by someone. You can paint that rock you can put a smiley face on it and little eyes on it. You can talk to it. You can feed it. But it's still a dead rock. And yet God says, we are living rocks. What does that mean? It means that we are alive and we are placed into this body, into this household. We are a part of this local body. He has brought us together as a living stone. And this is his plan. His plan is that the church, which is owned by Jesus Christ, would be raised up as a spiritual house in this community so that people would know and see Jesus. And so we see the plan for his church. Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and we are added as living stones to the spiritual house. And if you're with me so far, say amen. amen. A spiritual house. Notice secondly, we see his plan, a spiritual house. But what is the purpose for this house? What is his purpose for this church? Verse 15 which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now the church then stands as a pillar that is to lift up the truth. We are here to display the truth of God. Criswell said regarding the truth, the church represents it, upholds it, and manifests it. And that's why it is a tragedy, not only when a pastor, but anyone turns away from the truth. And I don't care what kind of little books or studies you have, if they're drawing you away from the church that's preaching the Bible, be careful. Because my friend, God wants you to be a part of a spiritual house that is a pillar standing up for the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there may be a million little Bible studies and a thousand radio teachers and books and all these different types of things, but God's plan for you and for me is the local called out assembly. It is the church uh, that he has determined to hold up the truth. Philippians 2 and 16, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not labored in vain, neither run in vain. And so God says the word of God will grow and be multiplied. And it's his desire that the church, as we grow, lifts up the truth like a pillar, like the Corinthian pillar in the Roman architecture, standing tall for the Lord is our calling. 
C.S. Lewis said, in such a fearful world, we need a fearless church. In such a fearful world, we need a fearless church. And oh, listen, friend, in this day of technology, when we can say, well, I heard a message on the radio, I watched the live stream, all those things are wonderful for, for those that are disabled and shut in. But there is a great difference between listening to a sermon on the radio or television and actually going to church. It's like the difference between calling your girlfriend on the phone and spending an evening with her uh, somewhere together. And God says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. I'm telling you, this assembly, this spiritual house is ordained of God so that we might hear preaching and teaching and fellowship and music and that we might grow together. And so the church is to lift up the truth, Second the church is supported by the truth. Now notice here in verse 15, the pillar, we understand lifting up truth. And notice secondly, the ground of the truth. Now the ground speaks of a settled foundation. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, but we have this foundation. The church, the church is to be foundational in this community. The church is to be settled in this community, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to, ex ex and to convince the gainsayers. Now, there are some, Spurgeon said this, and I want you to see this if you would. Amazing, this was written in 1880s. There are some in these apostate days who think that the church cannot do better than to come down to the world to learn her ways, follow her maxims, and acquire her culture. In fact, the notion is that the world is to be conquered by our conformity to it. This is as contrary to the scripture as the light is to the darkness. This is in the 1880s this was said. Now, not everything in our culture is terrible. We use microphones and we may have a screen or we may put a picture up of a mountain or a mountain climber. There are some things in the culture that we may use as an illustration, but Spurgeon was saying, if we think we're going to reach the world by bringing in their sinful norms and accepting them like some churches now, if we think that's the way to reach the world, we are wrong because you cannot hold up the truth and deny the truth at the same time. God says, I want you to be the pillar and the ground. And every city needs churches that will bring foundational truth into the community for the glory of God. And what I'm speaking about is being a genuine, authentic church that is genuinely holding up the truth of the Word of God. And, and that we are not an imitation church. We're not here playing church, but that we will be the church that God has called us to be. I heard about a guy that bought a beautiful diamond for his wife for Christmas, huge ring. And his friend said to him, he said, wow, that is an amazing, impressive gift, but I thought your wife wanted a new four-wheel drive for Christmas. His friend said, yeah, but I didn't know where to find a fake Jeep. Now listen, in this day, in this day of false teachers, parachurch this and that God says I have a plan it's called the household of faith it's the local church and my plan is that this church would hold up the truth in this community
You've been listening to Daily in the Word with Dr. Paul Chappell, pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church and president of West Coast Baptist College in Lancaster, California. If you'd like to connect with Pastor Chapel on Facebook or Twitter, go to paulchapel.com and click on his social media links. While you're there, be sure to sign up for his free Daily in the Word email devotional and take a look at all the helpful resources. Again, that's paulchapel.com. We hope today's message has encouraged you. Dr. Chapel serves as a pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church, and he is the author of many books. But most of all, he has a passion and love for you. If you've been helped through Dr. Chapel's ministry, he'd love to hear your story. Visit us on our website today, where you can listen to today's entire message, become a partner in the Word, and sign up for Pastor Chapel's Daily in the Word email devotional. Visit us at paulchapel.com. And thank you for listening today. Be sure to join us next time as we continue to discover God's answers for today's challenges here on Daily in the Word.